This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. So I think that is a skill that we need to nurture with our, our young people at school is not just problem solving, but problem identification skills. And that is driven by curiosity. That's Matilda Joubert reflecting on not just the solving of problems, but also on the skill of being able to identify them in the first place. Matilda is my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Do you ever get tired of hearing people tell you that your school or place of work needs to be more creative or use more innovative ways of doing things? Or that if you don't get more creative and innovative, your business, classroom, students or endeavour will perhaps stagnate or even fail? Matilda Joubert is Director of Excellence and Innovation at the Sheridan Institute for Higher Education and lectures in creativity, school improvement, leadership, management and research methods in both the faculties of education and business. She's currently the President of the Australian Council for Educational Leadership in Western Australia and has facilitated successful school improvement programs in more than 500 schools around the world. For Matilda, creativity and innovation really are critical aspects of success, progress, learning and development. But there's a caveat. It needs to be purpose-driven. Now, if creativity and innovation sound exhausting enough, you might think that finding a purpose on top of that sounds even tougher. But Matilda explains that with the right knowledge about the differences between creativity and eccentricity, anyone can benefit from creative thinking to develop solutions to real problems that add real value. I started by asking about the best approaches to initiating a conversation about these challenging topics. Matilda, so great to have you with us this afternoon. We're talking about creativity and innovation in schools, which I think is such an enormous topic. Like It rolls off the tongue really easily, and it's easy to say to someone, you need to be more creative, or let's come up with an innovative idea. Sometimes, though, the teachers that I talk to seem to be overwhelmed by it, and you get this look of exhaustion as in, oh, now I have to be innovative again. <laughs> How do you... How do you help people to think about this concept of keeping the new ideas going all the time? And and how do you even start a conversation with people about this? Mm. Um, hi, Colin. Um, really interesting topic or interesting questions you, you're asking there. And I think one of the first things I would say is that I actually really despise innovation just for the sake of innovation or creativity just for the sake of it. Um, for me, it, it's got to be purpose-driven. So to say to somebody, oh, you've got to come up with new ideas just because it's the cool thing to do, um, I think there, there's too much of that. And, and I often talk about the difference for me between creativity and eccentricity lies in purpose. Mm. The creativity is being purposeful with your new ideas, whereas eccentricity is coming up with new ideas and doing things differently and doing different things purely for the sake of difference. And I don't think we need eccentricity in education. We don't need new ideas just for the sake of it. Um, what we do need is new ideas for a purpose. Now, that doesn't mean that all new ideas are good. And sometimes we do have to go through the process of practicing or experimenting with the process of having new ideas so that we can get better ideas. But for me, the pursuit of new ideas should always be for a reason, for a purpose. Um, so when we as teachers want to come up with new ideas, it's got to be because it leads to improvements or enhancements in education. 
And if we want young people to come up with new ideas, again, it's got to be for a purpose that it actually helps to improve learning, improve understanding or improve our ability to develop new ideas. So I just want to clarify where you're coming from with the distinction between creativity and eccentricity. So you're talking about uh, creativity that is driven by some kind of an idea rather than a personality trait. Do I hear that correctly? Because we sometimes think about people as being, oh, that's an eccentric person or gee, that person, mm. isn't that person over there eccentric? Look at their funny behaviors. So can you, yeah. can you just fine tune that de definition for us? Certainly. I think that most definitions of creativity has two parts to it. Um, the first is an aspect of novelty or originality or newness in the thinking. And that's where the overlap with eccentricity is. But there's also a second part to creativity. And that is the, the concept that your idea has to be fit for purpose or useful or has value or be feasible. Um, so new ideas that are just purely original, but they don't actually work or has a, a purpose or a value to it, doesn't meet the criteria for creativity. So it's only got the divergent thinking, but not also an element of convergent thinking. So in creativity, we need to get that balance right. Um, and sometimes when children learn these skills, um, even for us as adults, when we practice creativity, we can, it, it's a bit like a pendulum that swings. So sometimes it goes very far over to the originality side, and then we've got to work again on the fit for purpose bit, and then it gets perhaps too purposeful and too driven, and it loses some of the, the newness and novelty, and we've got to go to the other side again in our thinking. Um, now, for me, as I say, eccentricity is just 50% of that equation. It's only half of it. That's when we purely have the novelty and the newness in the thinking, but it doesn't actually work and it's it's not purpose-driven. Um, so I think that is the, the, the key thing for us to get right in our pursuit of innovation, in our pursuit of newness or novelty or, or new ideas, that it is actually partnered with um, some pursuit of purpose. Mm. I've often heard teachers talk about uh, practicing skills in divergent thinking. And you're, if I hear you correctly, you're presenting that as part of the process. Is it still worth focusing in on divergent thinking as, as a skill or as an exercise? Mm. I think very important. Um, very important for young people to develop the skill of coming up with new ideas, developing originality in their thinking, developing divergence of thoughts so that they can learn to adapt ideas, so that they can learn to solve a problem in multiple different ways. What we then also need to do is also develop the skills of convergent thinking, which is building feasibility into new ideas. And interestingly enough, it's um, when we come up with new ideas that meets the criteria of, of creativity, new ideas that's also fit for purpose, normally we have to first engage in divergent thinking followed by convergent thinking. They're two different thinking processes. It's important for young people to develop skills in both of those, but usually they need to happen in that sequence or in cycles of divergent, convergent, divergent, convergent. So I always say to people, it's, it's possible to build feasibility into a new idea, but it's not always possible to build novelty or newness into a feasible idea. Ah, yes, right. So sometimes practical is, it's just practical. What are the limitations yes. though in the work that we do or perhaps yeah. the learning that we undertake? Now, the, the reason why I'm asking this is because some people might think, well, hang on a second. 
if I go into a classroom and I want to do some learning or there's teaching and learning going on, I want that to be serious and straight down the line. And, and sometimes we even then make jokes about uh, things like, for example, creative ac- accounting when the numbers don't seem to add up. Well, we can just creatively account for that. Can all pursuits be creative? So can I be creative in some serious maths learning, for example? I think it's definitely possible to be creative in every discipline. And it's just as feasible and possible to be creative in maths as it is to be creative in, in say, an art subject, which is traditionally seen as the, the creative subjects. Um, so I don't think we need to to um, almost ghettoize creativity into certain subject disciplines and say they just belong in the arts and they never belong in science and maths and, and the, the, the harder or more serious subjects. Um, so I think that is a, is a false distinction. Yet there are times where creative thinking is appropriate and times when it's not appropriate. There are times when we need new thinking and new ideas and times we're not. Um, I, I don't want to ever say or ever suggest that there is a, a discipline that doesn't need new thinking because all advances in maths and science and history and geography and, and linguistics in, in any field of endeavor has come through, through the, uh, the ability to think creatively, to develop new thinking or to expand or extend our thinking further. And that's why I believe that it is really a democratic right of every child to develop the capabilities of thinking creatively in all disciplinary areas. Mm. Um, so we can't just say, okay, there's creative thinking as a subject on the curriculum because we need to embed these ways of thinking. You can't think creatively about nothing. So you can't say, oh, let's come up with creative ideas just um, in, in a vacuum. So mm. we need to think creatively about something. Um, now, of course, the tension for us as teachers comes in that we say, okay, let's say to kids, I want you to come up with a new way of doing a scientific experiment today um, because we want to develop your creativity. Now, the danger, of course, is that the students may develop new ways of thinking, but they may not actually get the right answer. Yes, that's right. Now, equally, it's also dangerous for us to get kids to just develop an understanding of the right answers in science and never develop the ability to expand thinking, to extend thinking, to come up with new and novel ways of thinking. So it is a balance. There is a time and a place for creative thinking. Um, I often use the analogy, I said, imagine we, we're sitting in, a, in, a, in an airplane on, on a Boeing 747 and the pilot says to us, good morning, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I decided today I'm going to try a completely new way of flying this plane. I've never tried it before. I'm just going to experiment. Um, I want to innovate and come up with some new ideas. Are you with me? <laughs> yeah. no, Fasten seatbelts, please. At that time, it's definitely, yeah, exactly, not appropriate. <laughs> to think creatively at that time. There is a time then in classrooms, you're suggesting that uh, we can't just be too relaxed in terms of our way of presenting creativity. There has to be the purpose and the right context with a particular goal in mind. Yes, and and I think that too often we, we think in education that when it's the creative time for us to, okay, two o'clock on a Friday afternoon, we're going to have our creativity hour or our creativity 10 minutes in the classroom. Um, 
but it's not going to be purpose-driven. So that, again, is a wasted opportunity. So the, the trick for us or the challenge for us is to have a really serious goal so that the um, creative thinking is, as I suggested, in pursuit of a purpose. So the goal can be a deeper understanding around a certain topic or a certain theme or getting to the right understanding. But then we bring in creativity in how we get the young people to reach that goal or that conclusion. So different ways of thinking towards a purposeful conclusion. That's where we can really combine the creative thinking with the critical thinking of getting to, to the right outcome and get, getting some of the right understandings in education. Well, let's talk a little bit about the classroom. You've outlined four behaviours in the article that was published that we would like to identify and encourage in students in our classrooms. There are two that I'd like to focus on, and please feel free to mention all of them, of course, but there were two that particularly caught my eye. The first one is daring. Now, when I look at a classroom of students, I wonder whether a teacher would stand there and think, oh, I want all my students to be really daring. <laughs> that, that could be kind of scary. What do you mean by that? The characteristic of creativity, the daring to be different, is just that willingness to think differently. So one of the definitions of creativity is to say it's seeing what everyone else sees, but thinking something different. Um, and I think that is really the the behavior that we want to encourage young people in the classroom is to look at the world from different perspectives so that they can develop that originality of thought. Um, it's not necessarily daring in terms of risk-taking. Um, it's more that daring to twist things on its side, to take it upside down, to really look at things from different perspectives. Now, it may involve an element of risk, um, but I think that in, in terms of creativity, we, we do want to encourage young people to even think about risk in a way that would combine those elements of originality and, and purposefulness. Um, so it's not just random abandon of, mm. of any critical thought when you, you talk about creativity. Mm. The other one I wanted to talk about was being curious. Uh, and I, I wondered about that and wonder if the world that we live in now with, of course, tech saturation, that's the easy one to talk about. But when I look around the world and if I think about myself as a younger person, I wonder whether there's anything else that needs to be solved. I mean, most of the world seems to be going pretty well. It's much better than it was 100 years ago, technology-wise. You know, I can turn on the lights and I can pull a, a pre-prepared meal out of the freezer and stick it in the microwave. There's not, not much that I need to really do. I go to school. There's uh, jobs probably just around the corner if I want to go somewhere. Someone's already invented the aeroplane. Someone's already onto the space <laughs> flight thing. You know, I don't need to really worry about that. Now, I don't want to be too flippant about this because I know that there are some very serious problems that need to be solved, particularly, for example, in the field of medicine. But could you forgive a young person for not being curious? I think there's always been people that have been curious. There's always been people that have not been curious. Um, but I guess that is also the difference between the people who go out and invent those new possibilities. And I think a lot of new things that get invented is not because everyone saw the need for it. It is the curious person who can not just solve a problem, but identify a problem. 
So I think that is a skill that we need to nurture with our, our young people at school is not just problem solving, but problem identification skills. And that is driven by curiosity. Um, even just, I mean, I often would go into the classroom and I would, I would play the um, what's the worst that could happen scenario, the Dr. Pepper scenario and say, OK, what's the, you know, the Dr. Pepper's ad um, where they, they try to encourage people to think about what's the worst that could happen. Um, now, that is a little activity that can help young people to um, identify potential problems, which is, again, a different skill set than the skill to solve problems. Um, but quite often that comes first, problem identification before problem solving. Or I would give young children a, a Where's Wally book. And rather than just look for Wally, I would say, well, let's identify all the things that could go wrong. Let's identify all the problems that could be solved. Um, <laughs> so using little activities like that to encourage that um, problem development, problem identification. Some of the teachers listening to this might not necessarily feel that they are terribly creative people. I'm sure there are plenty of them, but you know, you often hear people say, oh, look, you know, I can't play a musical instrument, I'm not musical or I'm not athletic. And I'm sure there are people out there who are saying, well, I'm not really that creative and I feel okay with that. Your article also cites research that suggests many teachers would feel unprepared to teach creativity. How do you start talking to teachers about that? Because I imagine that might be quite sensitive for some people. Mm. Um, I, I do meet so many people when they hear that my research and my work is in the field of creativity immediately tell me that oh and I'm not really creative and when you start digging under the surface it's quite often because they um, have sort of fallen prey to some of the myths or stereotypes that there is around creativity so it is a, a concept that has lots of different views or different ways that people view it. Um, now, I don't want to say that some of those views are right or others are wrong, but I think there are views that's helpful for us in education and there's views that's less helpful. Um, so one of the views that I think is less helpful is the, the stereotype or the myth that creativity is um, about the arts. Um, now, as I already said, it's possible in the arts. It's also quite often um, we can be very uncreative in the arts as well mm. when we do things repetitively. Um, but it is just as possible in science and in, in humanities and any discipline because it's about original thinking. Um, another view that's unhelpful for us in education is that you have to be a genius to be creative. Well, no, it's a basic human potential that everyone has, but sadly not everyone develops. And quite often because not everyone believes in their potential. Um, another unhelpful view for us um, around creativity is that it is all freedom and no discipline or structure to it. And actually, if you've just got limitless freedom, that's in the classroom, that's a, a recipe for, for chaos. There might be accidental creativity in the chaos, but I'm not interested in accidental creativity. I'm interested in creativity we can guarantee. And that actually requires quite a fine balance between freedom or flexibility and structure or discipline. So quite often people who believe they're not creative is because they've got some of these unhelpful views on what creativity is. Let's say we've got one person listening to this interview who's thinking, I need to be more creative. They're driving home from work. They're thinking, I've got a really busy night tonight, but I just know I need to be creative. And I'll finish on this one. What's one thing that that person could do today that 
could make them feel like they were a more creative person. Wow. Now, there are lots of different strategies that teachers can learn and that we can teach our students to develop more creative thinking, to encourage divergent thinking. And, and again, there's strategies for convergent thinking. One strategy um, that I taught my son, who's now at university already, but I remember teaching him when he was about four or five, is the strategy of getting yourself a stimulus that will encourage you to think more creatively or more divergently around something. So um, we were driving in the car and he was asking me, oh, mum, can you give me a, a new idea for what the superhero can do? And I said to him, well, um, what ideas do you have? And he said, the absolutely unthinkable thing in my household, I don't have any ideas. <laughs> so um, at the age of four or five, um, I said to him, well, one thing that you can do when you don't have any ideas is look around and use something that you can see to give you a new idea. So I taught him a very basic strategy of getting himself a visual stimulus. Now, of course, we can get lots of different stimuli. We can get visual auditory. We can use our sensors. We can use random word generators, random image generators, lots of things that we can use to get a stimulus. But he was immediately on a roll. He said, oh, well, I can see a tree and this superhero can do this and this and this with a tree. And oh, next I can see a train and he can do this and this with this with a train. And I mean, it was quite a long journey. So it was one idea after the other. Uh, the exciting thing for me was a few nights later when I was reading a book to him. Um, he couldn't read yet and it had quite an open-ended ending. And he said to me at the end, um, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. He said, oh, I know what I've got to do. I've got to look around to get some other ideas. So at the age of four or five, he demonstrated that he understood that the strategy of getting yourself a stimulus to help you to generate ideas is transferable from context to context. And as long as we don't run out of new stimuli, we never have to run out of new ideas. So for the teacher who's thinking, oh, I've got to come up with a creative lesson. How do I make it creative? Um, write yourself a series of post-it notes of things that my students are interested in or a series of post-it notes on things that's happening in the world at the moment. And then whenever I have to come up with a creative lesson, I just grab the next post-it note mm. and you just use that as a, as a stimulus um, because the brain loves a challenge. Yeah. But I often say the brain loves one thing more than a challenge, and that's a cop-out. <laughs> and, and that's just our brain's way of, of trying to preserve energy. So when we are looking for or seeking for new ideas, the brain will try to save energy um, by almost resisting that curiosity. Now, having a set of post-it notes with a random stimuli on actually gives the brain something to look at and it it overcomes that inertia to accepting the challenge. Post-it notes. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Very underutilized, I think. Matilda, it's great to hear there's some really interesting work going on in that space. I'm sure the teachers and students you meet really appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Excellent. Thank you very much, Colin. Lovely to talk to you. You've been listening to Central Station. If Matilda's insight has resonated with you today and you think that a friend or colleague would benefit from hearing it, then please share this episode with them. To find out more about Matilda's work, you can find her on LinkedIn and there's a link for that in the show notes to this episode. You'll also find a link to one of Matilda's articles on which this conversation was based and that's titled Creative Thinking in Science Teaching and Learning published in the Journal of the Science Teachers Association of Western Australia. It's an inspiring read and I encourage you to check it out. 
And for more great stories from educators around Australia and the world, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more or for a demonstration on Australia's top school management system, visit the website central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.